0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. you know, there's times where we hear that statement, truth hurts. Well, the truth hurts sometimes. Well, the truth hurts. Well, yes. Sometimes, oftentimes, the truth can hurt, especially like after Christmas, and you step on the scale, and you look at it, and it's just like, oh, that, the truth hurts. Uh, what's been going on here in this body over over the Christmas season? Or, or you get your credit card statement, and you look at it, and you think, it can't be. There's something wrong. But then you go through the transactions like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's right. I, I guess the truth hurts. Or... Or Recently, there's a, a man who is a, is, uh, was a very dear friend and a mentor to me in the early days of my ministry in Saskatchewan, and, and he posted this week on Facebook that he has inoperable lung cancer. 61 years old, has never smoked a day in his life, and, um, and, and it took over a year for him to finally get this diagnosis as to why he was having health problems. And sadly, in that event, we say, whoa. The truth hurts. I wonder, yesterday, as we were handing out hundreds of water bottles and had a great time doing that and just blessed people um, with that, and we trust that God will use that as, as they also got the gospel um, statements, statements in four sentences that can change a life. As we were out doing that yesterday, I wonder what would have happened if while we were doing that or just even if we set a separate group, group out and said, hey, how would you describe Christians? How would you describe people who call themselves born-again Christians? It's <laughs> what we would hear with the truth of what they might be saying, would it maybe hurt a little bit? Might it sting? What is the signature mark of a Christian? How would, how would that question get answered by your neighbors or by people that you work with if you were just to ask them point blank? And I wonder what kind of answers might be given. Perhaps words like, well, Christians are hypocritical or they're judgmental or they're, they're, they're arrogant or they, they're pushy or, or they're self-righteous. And, and, and perhaps there'd be a lot of hurtful kind of like, oh, but maybe the truth hurts kind of statements in what they would have to say. And here is we've been working through the book of 1 John. We see that the signature trademark characteristic of a Christian, someone who calls himself a follower of Christ, one of the trademark signature characteristics of a person who calls themselves a follower of Christ is that we are to have a love for God and an expressible love for other people. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says that that others will know that we are Christians not by the songs we sing, not by the fact we set up and take down in a movie theater. They're going to know that we are Christians, that we love Christ by our love, that there should be extraordinary love that flows out of our lives. And, and sadly, I could say in my life, that is oftentimes not the case, that the love of God does not flow out in the way that I wish it could or the way that God would want it to. And as we've been going through this book, we see the, the great truths that are impacting our lives, and, and I trust aren't just like informing us, but that we're taking and saying, oh, God, help me, help me to, to change and to grow and to become the person that you would want me to become. I wonder if we were to ask people about our church or about my life or about your life on any given day, what they would say about us. I trust that they would see a progression of a love for God and a love for others. Look at in verse 7. This is where we're picking it up. It's where we left off last week of chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. And John, he's in his 80s or 90s, they believe. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. He saw Jesus close up, up front, personal, was a very dear friend to Jesus. And now he's talking to to Christians. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are kind of at times wavering in their faith and their commitment to the Lord. They're seeing false teachers take people. and and lead them astray. And here he uses this word beloved. This is a term of endearment. And and at times he calls them dear children in this book. But here it's like beloved. And he's pleading with them. He says, let us love one another. And the tense that he uses here in the original language, this is a a keep on loving. This is let's love for a lifetime. Not just for a month. Not just for a few years. Let's grow some history together. Beloved, let's grow some love history together as, as brothers, as sisters, as the family of God. God. Not just when things are good, not just when you're getting along and everyone agrees with you. This is an ongoing Christ like love commitment that He is calling us to have. And in this passage today, we see that a true, genuine, deepening love for one another is to be the mark of a follower of Christ. A true follower of Christ, an authentic follower, has a growing, deepening love for God. And a love for others. Trademark Mark. And that is something that we can even be asking in our own lives. And, and, and in other words, what we're talking about today, love is the evidence. Love is the evidence of that of an authentic faith and I trust that today each one of us would check our own hearts first of all do you know have you responded to the love of Christ in your own heart personally that's a decision that people we either choose to make to to, to to respond to Christ in a positive way as Lord and Savior or to reject Christ everyone on the face of this earth is, is going to one day face that question and I trust that you face that question perhaps if you haven't done that you would face that and you would respond to Jesus even today? Do you know, have you responded to the love of Jesus Christ? You say, I don't even know what the love of Jesus Christ is all about. Well, we're going to talk about that here this morning. Because for us as believers, people who've been going to church for many years, we need to be reminded of these truths. Not only does the gospel save us, but the gospel continues to remind us of the great love and the mercy of Jesus Christ and, and, and how it, it, it's a deepening Understanding in our lives to to propel us to to love others, to motivate us towards that love. And I wonder today, so have you responded to the love of Christ? If you have responded, is there a deepening love for God and a deepening love for others in your life? Right now, another question for you: who in your life right now do you find it particularly difficult to love? Encourage you to be thinking of that as we continue to work through this. Love is the evidence. Love is the evidence of an authentic faith. And where do we get this from? Um, wh- where do we get this love from? Because if you're anything like me, this love does not flow naturally out of my out of my body. The natural reactions that flow out is when I'm attacked, I'll attack back. When I'm hated, I'm going to hate back. When I'm mistreated, I'm mistreated. I'll give some mistreatment back in some way or another, even if it's just in my head to kind of like, yeah. at least I won in some way or another, you know? Or, or when I'm hurt, I'm going to hurt back. That's the natural response. Go into Harvest Kids, and you'll see some of this. One kid goes and, 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 and smacks another. What's going to more than likely happen? One's going to cry and, and is going to look at trying to hit the kid back. It's just like, you hit me, I'll hit you, you know? Um, I mean, that's a natural thing. We just do it in growing up ways just a little bit differently. And we should not be okay with this. You know, there's times where, oftentimes, I'll admit admit to you, my love that should be flowing out of my life is not there. And it's something that needs to continue to grow with me. Even yesterday, we had some family visiting, and we were at one of the parks, and, and there were some people who were smoking that sweet-smelling, skunk-like-smelling material that is, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it smells. They were smoking marijuana, and, and it was blowing our way. And, and it was just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I did not show the love of Christ. I mean, I didn't say anything directly to them, but I did talk a little loudly about how disgusting. Like, and afterwards, driving home, like, Melvin, what were you doing? How are you showing the love of Christ? Just because they were smelling up your, your, your air for a little bit. And, and I'm just thinking, oh, I've got so far to go in this. Do you have a ways to go in this and growing in this? Quite possibly you do. Um, maybe not as much growth in that area as I do, but 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 then pray for me if, if you've got this master, because I, I need more and more to reflect and show the love of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to write down this as we go through the verses. First of all, love is the evidence, and, and and encourage you, point number one, to see here, God is the source of this true love. Where do I get this love from? Where do I see this love? Well, God is the true source. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John is saying the evidence, the evidence love is the evidence of an authentic faith. And the word love, though, is rather unique because in the English language, we have one word for the word love, and it's love. And so I can say I love the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, even though they lost again, uh, just even last night. I mean, but they must be filled with a lot of love because they even allowed the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to beat them yesterday because, I mean, who cheers for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Like, I I really don't know of anyone who would ever even admit to that sort of thing. You know, and so I love the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I love watermelon. But you know what I love more than watermelon? Cherries. Cherries. Oh, cherries are the best. I actually, there's some on the snack table. I found some, and they are just the best. Nothing like B.C. cherries. We went this past week. In-laws wrote from Saskatchewan, and um, they were going to pick 30 or 40 pounds, but they found a good deal, and my in-laws, if you find a good deal, you're going to buy the farm. Well, they didn't quite buy the farm, but 117 pounds later, uh, we were done picking cherries dollar a pound. You just can't get a better deal than that. I love cherries, and um, I love my children. I love my wife. The, 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 the word love, we just toss it around so, so quickly, so easily, and it really doesn't have a huge impact or meaning. In the Greek, however, there are at least three words for love that we see in the Bible, and some of you know this. You're familiar with this. I'm going to get rid of my cherry pet. You may want to write down these words for, for uh, love that we see in the Greek. First of all, there's eros love, which is, in Greek, it's a love that describes physical, sexual, erotic love. This is often a conditional love. It's a if- love. It's, it's a when love. It's a self-gratifying love oftentimes. And, and, and it's an inadequate foundation by which to build a long-lasting relationship on. Um, you can't build a long-lasting marriage on eros love. That's an important part of marriage, but you can't build it on that foundation alone. Then there's filial, uh, filial love, which is a strong affection for. This is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love? Yeah, tell that to to the city in the 1970s, with the Broad Street Street Bullies, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, they were known for popping people, not for loving people. And uh, you know, but this is where we get the term for brotherly love. This is an emotional love. This is a connection. I love you because I love you because you're my parent, because you're my child. I love you because you are my friend. And um, and and this is, can be a very strong love, a very important love. We need this kind of love in our lives, and 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 we need to be giving this kind of love. But but oftentimes this love. Love is conditional and, and sometimes the conditions of that love can come off and, and, and you change things or, or I change things or you do things and this filial love can easily abandon us and, and sadly we see this all the time with family, friends, marriages, even with church family, even with blood family, we see that there's a strong connection and then we can see that this can, there can be a great disconnect in this. It is not a, a ongoing connected no matter what kind of love, there can be connect, uh, conditions to this. But then finally, we have agape love, and this is a love from God. This is a love that God gives. He is the originator of this, and he is the giver of this. And it is the strongest, it is the deepest, it is a a sacrificial, selfless, supernatural love. And ultimately, we see this love demonstrated for us in the death of Jesus Christ. And, and this special, supernatural, sacrificial, sent from heaven love is a any way love. It is unconditional. And, and it is a stick to it through anything kind of love. And this is a love that we cannot know. We cannot know this love apart from the spirit of God coming into our lives, doing a work in us through the work of regeneration. Now, I, now, it is true that lost people, people who don't know Christ, who, who don't follow Him, can be very loving people. Non Christians at times can outlove the Christian, and it's sad to say that and to at times see that, and, and even in, in our own lives, that people who don't believe in Christ, who don't know Jesus in a personal way, can love and be more sacrificial and giving than. Then we as believers. That not ought to be, but it's true. And, And you think, well, how can that be? But you see, every one of us is made in the image of God. And in spite of sinfulness and depravity, we still reflect the image of God. And so these people who don't know Christ can reflect a certain amount of this agape love, but they can't own it in the way that we as believers because it is from God. It's given to those who have a faith in God to be able to live that out to others. This agape love is what's described in 1 Corinthians 13. 13. And, and this is a love that ought to be marking our lives. This isn't talking the other forms of love. This is the agape love. When you look it up, this is all about the love of God. This is God's love for us. And this is love once we've experienced the love of God that we are to share to others. Um, let's look at these. Uh, look at this here in 1 Corinthians 13. I believe that we have it on the screen. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And this is a love that we can only be able to fully live out, not even perfectly, but in a progressive way because of the love of God touching our lives. God is the source of true love. And the false teachers that John was dealing with in his day and like the false teachers and, and, and preachers that oftentimes you'll even see today, whether it's on the Miracle Network or on, on, on TV or, or on internet or different things like that, they don't love with an agape love. Oftentimes it is a love that it is what's in it for me, send me money, make my fame great, sell my books, whatever it might be. It, it's often a selfish love and, um, and, and it's not agape love. And John is saying, hey, that, that's not the love that needs to be um, expressed in our hearts and our lives. It is to be this agape love, this this unconditional, selfish, uh, unselfish, sacrificial love. And you see, we don't have the capacity to do this. I, I lack capacity to do this. The only source for this love is from God, and it comes from a relationship with him. Now, sometimes love won't always look like love. It just won't. At times, uh, to love someone at times meaning, means at times giving them a tough word, saying some hard things a warning, a rebuke, even some discipline. And over the years, I am thankful for people in my life who at times have told me things that I did not want to hear. And they did it, they tried it, oftentimes to do it in love. Sometimes it didn't feel like love coming towards me, especially when my internal lawyer and and external lawyer kind of jumped back at them. But at times, love means saying the tough words, and it means discipline. Tough words can... that don't seem loving can at times be very loving because they love us and care for us. It was these people that have done this in my life and continue to do it. It's the most loving thing that you can do at times is to say those tough words. I think of my parents. Who desired to, to discipline us as children, and, and they had six children and, and, uh, and, and their hands were full. And I remember um, being disciplined in the biblical way, in the way that God's word tells us. And, and I remember hearing my parents say, "Now, Meldon, before this, you have to understand this hurts me more than it hurts you." And I'm thinking, "Liar. There's no way." Or then I kind of thought to myself, personally, I never said this because I knew I would have been in more trouble. I was like, "Well then spank yourself, because there's no sense both of us being hurt, you know like you take it for both. Of of us, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I never fully understood that until I had children of my own, and I needed to biblically discipline them, and it was that whole thing that my parents said, this does hurt, but in order for me to truly love you, at times it means a tough word, at times it's going to mean discipline in a way that God's word outlines for us to do that, and so we see that love sometimes doesn't, doesn't always look like love, and yet Uh, A tough word and discipline are a part of loving uh, one another. And so God is the source of this true, this authentic love. This never let go. This never let go no matter what. This is the love of God. Once he has you, he will never let you go no matter what you do. His love is forever faithful if you truly know him as Lord and Savior. This is a forever, never let go love. But let's remember that that love, though, is just one of the attributes of God. Love is just one of his attributes. There's other attributes of God. He is holy. He is just. He is merciful. He is good. He is sovereign. He is righteous. This is These are just some of of even other attributes. And there's a great danger, however, when we just take one attribute like love and raise it above all the others. And and this is what the false teachers were doing then. And this is what's even happening today within our pulpits and and at times with false teachers that are even happening today. They're soft-selling sin. Do what you want. Believe what you want. Live any lifestyle you want. After all, God is love. But you see, what they've done is they've taken a shift. And instead of saying... uh, that God is love, they're saying love is God. And that's not true. God is love, but love is not God. Because God is not just love solely. God has these other attributes. And it's dangerous because the Bible does tell us God is love. But people will say, but my God can't or won't send anyone to hell. Or, People will say, but my God, because he's a God of love, means that all religions will one day lead to heaven, will all lead to God. It doesn't matter what you choose to believe or who you put your faith or your trust in. It will all all pan out in the end. Or my God allows me to live any way I want. After all, love is God. And that's not true. God is love, but he's also holy. He's also righteous. And another attribute that we don't talk about often and we need to talk about is the wrath of God. And we'll get to that in a few moments. Bottom line though, God is the source of true love. And when we understand that, when we experience that, and this is what, what it goes on to say here, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Here is is John, John is saying. People who know God are going to love God. And they're going to as a result of that, they're going to, as they know God, they love God, and they're going to love others. And if love for others is based on certain conditions, certain conditions being met, that's not the love of God. God's love is a no-strings-attached kind of love. If our love won't forgive someone who has wronged us or hurt us, that's not God's love. Because God's love forgives all, and he will help us to be able to forgive others, and all people that have hurt or have wronged us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're letting them off the hook. Forgiveness doesn't mean that, that, that you're letting them get away with it. Forgiveness means, though, that you're not taking what they have done into your future. It's passing it on to a higher court. It's, it's allowing God to deal with them. And God will deal with every injustice. God will deal, deal with every wrong, that we face or that we can encounter, but what we're doing when we forgive is we pass it on to a higher court and we are released from it. Let God deal with them and he will in this life or the life to come. And when we love others with an agape kind of love, it gives evidence that we have been born of God. This is a great evidence that we know God in a personal way. The second thing here that we see, so first of all, God is the source of true love. And second of all, true love is manifested in Jesus Christ. Verse nine, we'll pick it up here and look at verse nine. In, in this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It is one thing to talk about love. It's another thing to show love. And God just doesn't talk love. He shows love. He demonstrates this. That word manifest that you see, I encourage you to underline that in your Bibles because that's an important word. It says to come out in the open, to be made public. And God's love was made public for us in Jesus Christ. I wonder today if, 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 if we were to ask you, if, you know, without any prior warning, if you would say, what is the greatest evidence of God's love for you? How do you know that God loves you? It, would you say, well, he must love me because I live in Canada. You know, like it must mean I'm pretty blessed and that he loves me or, 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 or that I have money in the bank. That's a sign of God's love or a full gas tank or I have a good paying job or he helped me to get that deal or, or, um, or, or he's given me good health. So that's, that's a sign. When a lot of other people don't have what I have, you know, that, that's a sign that God loves me or that he's answered um, a lot of my most recent prayers. That's a sign that God loves me. No, the sign, the single greatest evidence Of God's love for you and God's love for me is not what's happened or what hasn't happened in your life. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is his son coming to this earth, his one and only son. He gave him up. This wasn't no upgrade for him to come here. This was selfless. This was a sacrifice that he gave, allowing him, putting him on the cross. And God came to earth in human form. He came God in the flesh. This wasn't some royal tour kind of photo opportunity. Let's get some selfies and, and create some great memories. And you know, on, you know with the humans down, down on the earth below. No. This wasn't some expedition like this. This was a sal- self selfless sacrificial love. And in verse 10 it goes on to say in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Understand this, folks, God pursued you. People at times say, well, I found God. Ah, wrong. God pursues you. At times, yes, you've been looking and searching, but he's been been working all along to pursue you, to call you into relationship with him. He's the one doing the pursuing in this. It's not up to us. God pursues us. I think I've told you before, I've had some, some pretty serious arguments at times with my kids when they were like three and four and five years old when, when I would uh, say, I love you. And they would say, I love you more. And I'd say, no, I love you more. And it was this back and forth kind of thing. And then I just silenced the three-year-old, just like, boom, just felt so good. All I said to them is, I love you first. It's like, slam. You know, get my thrills over arguing and winning against a three- or four-year-old. But it's true; they could—they could not love me first. Their love for me was a dirty diaper and crying through the night for their mother. That's how they showed their, and, and, and Nate, through most of the day he would cry, you know? And and that's the way that they, through spit up, and through temper tantrums, and, and all of that, that's the way they showed their love, and yet we continued as parents to keep loving and pouring the love on our kids, even when they couldn't even give us any love in return. And then we thought, oh, finally, they're giving us some love. They're getting me, giving me a smile, and, and then you find out it's gas. You know, like, I mean, it, it's just not even, you know, like, thank you, and then it's like, oh, I guess not. Um, but 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 in the end, they start giving back love. And that's a beautiful thing. God loves us. God pursues us. He pursued us first. God pursued us first and best. And he did that in Jesus Christ. And what we have done towards God is far worse than any of that. We have ignored God. We have disobeyed God. We have sinned against him. We've rebelled. We've worshipped other things. We have cursed his name. We've been selfish. We've been lustful. We've been self-righteous. We've been greedy. Let me keep going. I'm just naming your sins. We'll start on yours and yours. like in, in my sins, I mean, these are the things that we've done against God. And yet he's loved us and he's pursued us. And he sent his one and his only son to redeem us. That is the... That shows his love for us. God loved us first. God loved us best. God pursued us. He did that in the garden to Adam and Eve when they sinned against him. They didn't come running to him. They went hiding. What did God do? He went looking for them. He pursued them and he's been doing that ever since and he continues to do that today. God loves you. He's pursuing you. He desires, if you don't know him personally, a personal relationship with him. If you've been wandering away from him, he's pursuing you. He wants you back. To give you a fresh, clean slate, a new start, freedom from the past, hope in the present, and and hope in heaven in the future. Power to live on day by day as we go through life. If you've never turned to Jesus Christ today, turn to him. Repent of your sins. We'd love to talk to you and show you how you can do that. Uh, Someone who you know is a believer in Christ, talk to me after the service. We'd love to be able to talk to you about that. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, but it's an important word. I encourage you to write it down, get to know it. There's really kind of two parts to that. Propitiation means payment was made, relationship restored. Payment was made. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the payment for my sin, it was the payment for your sin, for the sins of the world. And that allowed us to be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with God. When God looks at you, he looks at it through the lens of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us. And so it's for that reason that we run to him. We return to him. His sacrifice on the cross made the payment. And it reconciled us to God. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Important verse. Isaiah 59 verse 2. It says, our sin or our iniquities have separated us from God. Our sin brings separation between us and God. And we've been singing this, this new song um, the last number of weeks. I got saved. And, and I just love that song. It's just, just, just filled with so much truth. That, that line, restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I found Jesus. And and that is the best news that anyone can ever have or experience is to find Jesus, to have to be restored and to be made right, to have payment made for my sins. Nothing, clean slate, old is gone, new comes because of Jesus and because of his love for us. And what are we saved from when we've been singing? You know, I got saved, or sometimes I say, hey, when did you get saved? I got saved when I was, you know, four years old, or when I was 15, or when I was 36. When did you get saved? Uh, how did you get saved? And, and we toss that word, what did you get saved from? Our past? Yeah, sure. Yep. He, slate wiped clean. Old is gone, new has come. Saved from the penalty that we owe for our sins? Yep, definitely. Saved from hell? Yes. Now heaven? That's a serious upgrade? Yeah, I'll take that any day, anytime, for eternity. These are the things that we have been saved from and saved to. But you want to know what ultimately we've been saved from? And this may surprise you. This may shock you. But ultimately, you have been saved from God. When you get saved, you get saved from God. You're saying, what are you talking about? You are saved from the wrath of God. Remember I mentioned that a little bit before? Now we don't like talking about the wrath of God because it makes people uncomfortable and squirmy and it's just, you know, it's that fire brimstone kind of stuff. But God's word talks about it, folks, over and over and over again. And in order to understand the extent of God's love on one side, we have to understand what's on the other side, and it is the wrath of God. And to fully appreciate and to be undone by his mercy and his grace and what he did for us on the cross we have to understand the wrath that is upon each person without christ the bible is clear on this and the bible refers to this oftentimes as the day of the lord or the day of wrath it's a day of judgment that all people will be judged Next week, we'll get into, into some of that a little bit more on how we can stand in confidence on the day of judgment. We, can st- we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. But this is something we need to be fearful and we need to be aware of. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, I encourage you to write down that reference in here. I'd love to read it for you here today. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is a day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and a battle cry. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Wow, that's that's heavy. Well, let's, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's look at, at New Testament. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand The problem is, oftentimes we don't believe this is coming. We're just like, oh, hum, you know, we're just guaranteed the future and and, and life will continue on. But it's a sure thing the wrath of God will one day come. And those who are alive, as well as those who have since passed, will be standing before God. It will come, the wrath of God. Are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? It will come just like a child who thinks that summer vacation or, or Christmas will never come. Well, it, it eventually comes, doesn't it? It does come. And, you know, like an expecting parents and especially the expecting mother at the six month or seven or eight or eight and a half, you know, month, they're like, when is this going to come? You know, it's coming sooner or later, it's coming and, 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 and it's going to be a great day. Well, the day of the Lord, the wrath of God will not be a great day, however, There will be a part that will because justice will be served. All the atrocities, all the wrongs will be judged and made right. Everything brought out into the light. And it says, no one can or will be able to withstand this judgment. You might say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll just twinkle my eyes a little bit. I'll give a good speech, and I'm sure I'll get past. I'll just make sure I'm standing in line next to a real bad criminal, and, and, and I'm sure that, that, that you know, the wrath of God will land on that person and not on me. No, there's only one way to escape from the wrath of God, and this is the good news, and this is the hope that we have. First Thessalonians 1.10, it says, it's Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. And this is what is meant in verse 10 when he says God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've been reconciled to God. We payment has been made for our sins and we can be reconciled. And Jesus removed the wrath or or God removed the wrath that was coming towards us because Jesus took it upon himself. Christ absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. And he took all. The wrath that is due, you or me, he took it upon himself and all we do is we trust him. We turn to him, we repent, and we start walking in his love. We walk in an obedient life, not perfectly, but progressively in our lives. You see, the cross we often sing about, we talk about, we rejoice at Easter about the victory over the cross. Good Friday, we are moved to emotion for the great agony. The word um, that we have for excruciating actually means up from the cross or from the cross, that's where we get the word from. And not only was it physically torture, the worst way to die physically, but it did not compare, the physical agony and pain did not compare to what he absorbed as he absorbed the wrath of God upon himself. The wrath that was headed our way, he got in the way of that and said, I will take that upon myself because I love you, because I love every person on the face of this earth. That's why propitiation is a big deal. Payment was made. Reconciliation was also made relationship, reconciled in a relationship with God. This is a huge deal, folks. This should undo us and motivate us because we know that we have been restored. We have been made right. He did this. And that's why at times we sing this. Song, Thank you, God, for saving me. I can't believe that you've done this. I can't believe of your great love that you've shown towards us. And look at the result of that in verse 11. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word ought is actually a financial term, an obligation, a debt. We are obliged. We're not forced to, but what God has already done for us, we just want to love others. That is the reason. It's not to, to look good in front of others or try to get in good with God. It's because of the depths of his love for us. To love each other with that same sacrificial, selfless, agape love. So today we have seen that God is the source of true love. And we also see that this deep love was manifested in Jesus Christ. You say, but how in the world, Meldon, do I walk in this love? How do I do this? Because my resources are pretty limited. I'll go and I'll try to be a lot more loving this week. I'll try harder to love that person, my spouse, that family member, that coworker, that neighbor who drives me nuts, that person smoking marijuana on the beach, you know, whatever it might be. You can't do it in your own power. Your resources are pretty, pretty thin. So are mine, but that's what we'll talk about next week. Where the power, where the strength comes from to be able to live with confidence, live in the power that is available to us. You can go on ahead and and continue reading. I won't stop you from doing that, but we'll Lord willing touch on this. You see, my patience are limited, but God's patience, eternal, infinite We're going to move into a time of communion, which is a Lord's Supper. We're going to spend some time in worship. And usually we do this monthly here at Harvest. And it is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you have asked Christ to come into your life. You've repented of your sins. And today that you are desiring to live a life that is bringing glory to God. You're desiring to live in obedience to his word. And, um, and, and um, encourage you to spend some time in examining your own heart. But this isn't simply a a ritual that we do here at the church. It's a command. Jesus told us to continue with this, remembering the Lord's Supper in this way. Because it's a time that we worship and we remember the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The broken bread. As you come up and you take a piece of bread, it's a reminder of the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken on our behalf that was broken and took upon the sins of the world and the wrath of God for us. And then we have the cup and you can dip that bread in the cup and remember the shed blood, the once for all payment for sins was made on Jesus. And as you do that, it should undo you. If you're a believer in Christ and you understand what we're talking about today, and it's a time to examine our lives, to prepare our hearts, let's bow together and the band will come at this time. Just as we have our heads bowed, just encourage you to think through a few questions here. This is a time to examine our hearts and repent of areas where the Holy Spirit is calling us to repent in. And a question I have for you is, first of all, have have I responded to the love of God? Do you know him in the way we've talked about him today? You can open your heart up to him today, admitting that you're a sinner believing by faith that Christ died for your sins and asking him to be your Lord and Savior, inviting him to be a part of your life, a part of your future, a part of your plans. I'd love to talk to you further about that afterwards if you want to know more or if you're calling out to God in that way today. And for those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, another important question, how are you doing at sharing and showing and extending this love to others? We've seen today that we don't truly love God if we don't truly love people in an ever-increasing way. And I'm not just talking about your family. Family love is a lot easier sometimes. Sometimes it's more difficult. How are you doing at showing love to family, to friends, to unbelievers? Or is your love often a conditional, selfish love? Confess, repent of those areas, and thanking God for even seeing what we saw today, that this was a sacrificial, selfless love, and pray and ask for that to be a part of your today and your tomorrow and your future. I wonder today, who do you need to be able to put on a new page? To sort out, to unravel the past is just defeating. But today you need to step forward and live out and model the love of God into a relationship, into a friendship, into whatever it might be, into a, a a group of people that you may have certain thoughts or ideas about that aren't right, that aren't loving. Who do you need to make that unconditional, let's stick it out kind of love? Who do you need to pursue in the way that God has pursued you? Oh Father, we can't do this on our own, but you help us through your power, through your strength. And we see the love that was given to us unconditionally that you gave to us in giving your son, that now we can be reconciled and made right. Would you get a hold of our lives? And may we desire you and to live for you and to love others, not in our power and strength, but through you, through your love. Oh, would you do that deep work. We repent of those areas in our lives where we're struggling, where we've allowed bitterness or unforgiveness to be the trademark signature of our life and not a life of unconditional love like what you have done help us to forgive forgiveness is a process but it's an important one that we need to be taking in our lives and we see that this forgiveness is available ultimately through you jesus and we worship you now